We've now come to the place in our service where we consider God's Word. We're continuing our series through the book of Jonah, and here to read our scripture is Carol. This morning's reading is taken from Jonah 1, verses 7 to 16. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. You know, it used to be standard practice to give chase to criminals. If suspects were fleeing from the scene of a crime, usually the authorities would give chase. I recall watching many car chases broadcast on television when I lived in the States. The news helicopters would be flying overhead and would be broadcasting the chase. That used to be the standard practice. But now it's used only in limited circumstances. And why is that? Well, sometimes those speeding criminals would injure innocent people. In speeding cars, those suspects will ignore speed limits and stop signs and blow through red lights even. And innocent people would end up getting hurt, even killed. Collateral damage, they call it. Well, in Jonah chapter 1, something similar is happening. God is in pursuit of Jonah the chase is on. And Jonah's getaway vehicle, if we can call it that, is this ship. It's a fast, deep-water sailing ship. And in the chase, the sailors of that ship could become collateral damage. We're going to look at these sailors and their response to the storm. First, we'll look at their reactions to the storm. Secondly, their reactions to it. And finally, the results that come from it their reactions, their reasoning, and then the results. First, their reactions, their reactions to the storm. It wasn't in our main reading, so let me read from verse 4. If you have your Bibles handy, you may take a look. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, 
so that the ship threatened to break up. But the Lord, the Lord is printed in capital L-O-R-D, and you probably know this, but it's worth repeating. Whenever that name is capitalized in English, it indicates God's personal name, Yahweh. The old translation was Jehovah, the great I am that I am. This is the same Lord, Yahweh, who brought his people out of Egypt, the Lord who rescued them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord who divided the waters of the sea so that his people walked through on dry ground, the Lord who then caused the waters to cover the pursuing Egyptians so they were drowned. This is the all-powerful Lord, the one who directs the wind and the wave. We read in verse 4 that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He hurled that wind. That same verb is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. In one place, it's used to refer to someone hurling or throwing a javelin to kill another person. This same word is found two more times in this chapter. It's in the next verse, verse 5. There it says the sailors hurled the ship's cargo overboard. And at the end of our reading, we read that the sailors hurled Jonah into the sea. So this is a strong word, even a a violent word. The Lord is violently throwing, he's hurling that great wind to stop the ship, to stop Jonah. But these sailors, these mariners, get caught up in this violent action. They're like those innocent bystanders in the midst of a car chase. They could become collateral damage. Look at their reactions, their specific reactions to this storm. Now, of course, these are experienced men. They've worked on ships sailing on the Mediterranean for years, maybe even decades. However, we read that this particular storm made these sailors afraid. It might be hard for us to imagine their fear or this context of a storm. Most of us have never been on true sailing ships, that is, sailing ships without a motor. Ships powered only by the wind, imagine it. Their ship is far from land. They're way out into the sea. That violent storm is thrown upon them without warning. The wind is ripping apart their sails. The waves are pouring water inside their ship. These sailors are not merely afraid. They're in a panic. They know that if things don't change soon, they're going to drown. So we read that the sailors started to pray. We read that they started praying each to their own God. And that's another reaction, their prayer. Now notice they're not praying to the true God, to Yahweh, to the Lord. No, they're praying only to their own gods, to false gods. But the gods of those sailors give them no relief. The violent storm continues to rage. So they start throwing the cargo overboard. That makes the ship lighter, and and the ship will then be able to ride on top of the waves, making it less likely to break apart. Now contrast the reaction of the sailors to the reaction of Jonah, the prophet. While the storm rages, Jonah is below deck. We read that he's lying down, and he's fast asleep. Isn't that incredible? While the sailors are praying, Jonah is sleeping. Have you ever noticed how that can happen when you're moving away from God? In those times, usually you'll stop talking to God. You'll stop praying to God. 
Sort of like small children who are careless at home. They've been throwing a ball inside the house and now they've smashed a lamp. From the other room, their parents notice something. The children seem unusually quiet. So one of them calls to the other room, what's going on in there? But the children say nothing. They're quiet. Often we won't pray, we can't pray, when we're moving away from God or running from Him. Your lack of praying could be a warning sign. Now Jonah will pray later, and we'll look at that prayer next week. It's found in chapter 2. But for now, interestingly, the sailors are the only ones praying. Look next at their reasoning, how these sailors are reasoning about that storm. In verse 7, we read, They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. These hardened sailors are showing more wisdom than Jonah. First they were praying while Jonah was sleeping, and now they're reasoning rightly. They see this storm as the punishment of God upon someone's sin. And so it is. So it is. The sailors cast lots to decide who the guilty one is. We don't know what their method was. Today we might use a method like picking straws or flipping a coin. But of course, God is in control of this method. In Proverbs chapter 16, we read this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Its every decision is from the Lord. So the Lord is directing the decision. He causes the lot to fall on Jonah. The sailors start firing their questions at him, one after another. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? Of what people are you? And Jonah responds by saying, I'm a Hebrew. How can he say that with a straight face? He's actually saying something like this. I belong to the people of God. I belong to the people chosen by God. And then he adds, I fear the Lord. I fear him. Now, you probably know that the Bible uses this word in a particular way, a particular use of that word fear. It's referring not to being afraid or being terrified. Jonah doesn't seem to be terrified in that way. Rather, it's referring to a kind of respectful fear, a reverential fear, a a love for God. This is a good kind of fear. In fact, it's something all believers should have towards God. Psalm 103 speaks of it. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, the Lord's love, towards those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As children of God the Father... We love him with reverence and respect. Of course, at this point, Jonah is showing anything but reverence to God. Yet, in some strange way, in some strange way, he's pointing these sailors in the right direction. He's pointing them to the true God, the God of heaven, the creator of the sea and the land. Supposedly, an old Scottish Presbyterian pastor once said this, God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Jonah is indeed a crooked stick. But he's throwing, a striking, a straight blow. The words from the Lord are true. 
And those words from the Lord, Jonah's words to the sailors, have a good effect upon them. They now know the true reason for this storm. They understand that Jonah was running away because he was rebellious toward God. And the Lord was sending this storm to stop him, to punish him. But here they are, in danger of drowning along with Jonah. Indeed, they are a kind of collateral damage. Look then at their responses, the responses of these sailors. They respond in several ways. First of all, in verse 10, we read that they respond again with fear. Not the good kind of fear, but the bad kind. These sailors, now knowing what's going on, they're afraid of God. They're afraid of the true God. They're afraid of the Lord God, the creator of the sea and the land. In the original wording of verse 10, there's an intensification of the, of the meaning here. These men are simply terrified. They're fearing with great fear. Originally, they thought this just was one of those terrible, ordinary storms. Yes, a fierce storm, but an ordinary storm. But now they know it's not. They are now terrified of the Lord's wrath against sin and sinners. Unless things change, they know that they will also die under God's wrath. They will go down along with Jonah. They then respond by asking a very good question. It's a very good question. And they ask basically this, Jonah, is there anything we can do to turn aside God's wrath? Can the God of the sea and the land be appeased? What a good question. It's an excellent question. We should all be asking that question. Is there anything that will turn aside God's wrath towards me? I know I violated God's commandments. I, I know I failed to love him. I know I deserve his punishment. Is there anything that will appease the anger of a holy God? And Jonah tells them there's really only one way, only one way that God will be appeased, and that is they must offer him up to the sea. The sailors must throw Jonah overboard into those stormy waters. And in fact, Jonah is telling these sailors, I will be your sacrifice. I will be your sacrifice. If not, you will all die. But my, by my death, by my drowning, God's wrath will be appeased. And you sailors, you'll be rescued. You'll be delivered. You'll be saved. Now, the sailors at first didn't want to do that. We read that they tried rowing to get back to land, but it proved impossible. So they pray again. But this time, notice, it's a different kind of prayer. In comparison to their earlier prayer, this time they're praying to the Lord. L-O-R-D, capitalized. They're praying to the true God. They're praying to Yahweh. They're asking the Lord to forgive them for throwing Jonah overboard. And then they do what Jonah told them to do. They throw him into the sea. They hurl him. They violently cast him into the sea. The sailors are making Jonah the sacrifice to appease God's anger. And God is appeased. For we read that immediately as Jonah is thrown overboard, the storm on that sea stops. You know, each of us should feel what those sailors felt that God is in heaven, that he sees everything, that God is 
watching us, and that God is judging us in some sense. And someday we'll have to give account before him. And that thought can leave us terrified. It can leave us terrified, and in some ways it should leave us terrified to know that in the future God's judgment awaits us. But wonderfully, wonderfully in the Bible, God tells us that he will accept a substitute. He will accept someone to pay for us. And more than that, This will be someone who is able to appease God, to turn aside God's wrath against our sin. Listen to 1 John 4, verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big word, isn't it? Propitiation. But it's such an important word. It means something or someone to turn aside God's wrath, to turn away God's righteous and intense anger against our sin. Yes, God is angry about our sin. In his wrath, he must punish our sin. But in love, in love, God has given us a substitute. He's given us a propitiation, someone who literally turns aside the wrath of God against us. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who died for sin on that cross. So you see, Jonah is pointing us to Jesus. Jonah, the rebellious prophet, is pointing us to the righteous prophet, Jesus. Jonah, for that one time, turned aside God's wrath. But he points us to Jesus, who will forever turn away God's wrath against us. It was about 700 years after Jonah that Jesus was hurled down. No, not hurled into the sea, not the literal sea, but he was hurled down into the pit of death as he died on that cross. And as we simply, simply trust in Jesus... God's wrath is satisfied. Instead of him being our stern judge through Jesus, now God becomes our loving Heavenly Father. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God shows us great compassion as we trust in Jesus so that we now fear our God in a tender and loving way so that we've then moved from a bad kind of fear, a terror of God's wrath and judgment, to a good kind of fear, a loving respect of God as our Father in heaven. He's rescued us from death. He's rescued us from our sin and the penalty of our sin. And out of his love, God has given us Jesus, our propitiation. Now, of course, the sailors weren't looking for any of this, were they? I imagine their day began like any other day, a day at sea, simply sailing west on the Mediterranean. They had sailed this route for many years, maybe even decades. They were going about their ordinary sailor duties, but out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, that storm changed their lives. The Lord God was changing their lives. 
they will not be collateral damage after all. Rather, they are, well, what shall we call it? They are collaterally blessed. They're being blessed in Jonah. They're being blessed through Jonah. They're being blessed as Jonah offered himself for them as he was hurled into the sea. This section closes with a wonderful note that these men responded. They responded to the true God with a faith and with a trust. Not only do they now know something about God, no, they've come to love him as a compassionate father. The final verse says that these men feared God exceedingly. They showed a good kind of fear towards their father in heaven. And with their faith, they give thanks. They offer up sacrifice to the Lord, and they make vows to him. They promise to live a new kind of life. If you haven't yet responded to the Lord, won't you consider that? Won't you consider responding to the Lord today? You know, maybe the Lord is, is using the storms of life to get your attention, to cause you sort of to stop and to think about the future, your future, to think about eternity, to think about God's final judgment. Maybe it's through this time of COVID. It's a kind of storm, isn't it? This COVID storm. Maybe this is making you think more about life and the true meaning of life. Or maybe it's some other struggle in your life. Won't you respond? Won't you trust in this God through Jesus Christ? Won't you trust in Jesus as the one who has turned aside God's wrath against you? And maybe you're one of those who has trusted in God, trusted in Jesus for many, many years. It's easy, I think, very easy, to sort of fall back into a mindset that we have to keep on satisfying God. That somehow, oh, we won't say it, but somehow we have to keep on earning his love, to show him that we're deserving. Once we're rescued, once we're saved, we... We can fall into a performance mode that we try to do everything so well, so correctly, that if we don't, we might risk being thrown overboard, that God might give up on us and destroy us in the end. But that's not the case. No, it's not. None of us ever gets to the point where we're good enough for God. Let me repeat that. None of us ever gets to the point where we're good enough for God, where we can say that we have now succeeded in satisfying all of God's demands. No, we'll never get to that point. There's only one man who has fully satisfied God's demands. Only one man who has turned aside God's wrath, and that is Jesus. And we find our rest before God in him. Only in Jesus can we rest on calm seas in this life and for the life to come. Amen.